welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Graham-Nye and Chris Dominic. Chris Dominic, is that is that a jury consultant I'm speaking to? Hello? That is exactly who you're talking to, Jason. How are you? Really? I'm well. It's Saturday morning here. Uh, life is grand. Uh, November yep. 21. Everything's Very great. Nice. How about it's, you? Uh, yeah, What's happening it's there? The, uh, it's the 20th. It was a beautiful sort of end of the season kind of day. You know, we still got a little bit of leaves on the trees. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of waning, but it, it's, a, it's a beautiful day. Got some fresh air. And you know, I'm kind of pumped. I really enjoyed our last episode and I really, uh, I just got off this big national presentation where I was talking to all these people with this panel on online presentation skills and we just had this good flow going and man, it just, I don't know, there's something about flow, it just gets you going. Feels I'm good. So, so with you, I facilitated a conference yesterday around the circular economy. So we had the Australia Post, the uh, big postal service and Brambles, big companies doing interesting things in sustainability. And there was a great energy just facilitating these five speakers and about 50 people all on Zoom. And uh, yeah, I'm pumped. It's Saturday. It, Let's it go. It stays with you, right? Yeah, I know. It, it, stays it with really you. does. It yeah. really, really does. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Every once in a while, we've got to establish a pillar of the show and we're just getting going here. So one of those pillars of the show we're going to talk about is science because the lens of the show is to some degree, we're, we're anchored in science and evidence. We're uh, not messing around with a lot of other peripheral things. So what I thought I'd do to set this up is play a clip that some of you may have heard from Richard Dawkins, who's a famous scientist. He's a biologist. They're in Oxford in a big hall, and he's being asked this big sort of philosophical question. So I'm going to play it, and then uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to basically explain why we're doing this in the first place. (laughs) Okay, uh, so the question's about the nature of scientific evidence. Um, you, You both said, and I think most people here would agree with you, that we're justified in holding belief if there's evidence for it or if there are logical arguments we can find that support it. Uh, but it seems like this in itself is a belief which would require some form of evidence. And so if so, I'm wondering what you think would count as evidence in favor of that. And if not, how do we justify choosing that heuristic without appealing to the same standard that we're trying to justify? So how, how do we justify, um, as it were, f- faith that, that science will give us the truth? Is that the place? How do we justify scientific method? Yes. Um, what he said. It works. It, it, it works. Um, planes fly, cars drive, mm. computers can compute. It's an inductive argument. Um, <laughs> um, if, if, you, if you base medicine on, on science, you cure people. If you base the design of planes on science, they fly. Um, if you base the design of rockets on science, they reach the moon. It works, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> All right, got to settle that crowd down after that. Ah, Jason, I just think it's so good because it's such a beautifully juxtaposed thing. It's you know, it's science, and how do you the English language kind of fails him in one way, and then he just drops Mm -hmm. the hammer with 
Yeah. It just works, bitches. I mean, it's yeah, great. No, it's fantastic. You know, I think the thing I like about it, besides the fact that it's 90 seconds and explains a fairly hairy, big concept, but it's also just, I thought that's kind of how I feel. I think it's pretty much how you feel. And so I thought, well, all right, let's just make sure people know that's what they're getting here. Because <laughs> uh, I was thinking about this the other day when there was a journalism professor who was criticizing a lot of journalists who have been, quote unquote, giving people equal time because they get a lot of criticism from one side or the other that they're not getting equal time. But the journalism professor went on to to remind people that it's not about fairness of time. It's about you have to actually vet what are the facts in the story? What is the evidence that this is actually true? And if one side says, here's what I've got, here's the evidence, here's my argument. And the other side says, well, okay, I see that evidence and here's how I take that. Mm. That's perfectly legit. But when the other side says, what's really going on here, there's a 50 foot tall person who's going to be invading America tomorrow. And they're like, okay, well, what's the evidence of that? And they go, I have none of that. Well, let's cut away to commercial, right? I mean, we're not going to spend time on that. So that the reason why I bring this up, of course, is because one of the topics we want to get to do today, you inherently have have in the back of your head, science is this way. So I've got a little quiz for you. I didn't tell you you were going to do this. Oh, come on. Did, did, uh, hey, hey, hey. Do you remember the prenup? We did sign that agreement. No, You're, yeah, aren't you a true. lawyer? You know come what? You're, no, 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 I'm not, remember? I'm, I know, but I like to like, think you nobody are. Nobody goes to lawyers for this. Okay. So, so the, here's the deal. That's not true. Some lawyers are jury consultants. Sorry, lawyer jury consultants. That, that, <laughs> it's, just, it's just not, you know, it's not the majority. Okay, here we go. So I want you to tell me how many people, okay? This is this is stats in America. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't be too hard on us, but here we go. Okay. How many people believe the global warming is no big deal, but that it's a hoax perpetrated by scientists, the government, and journalists? What percentage? Uh, of America or globally? Yeah, America, America. In America, I reckon mm, 15% of people think it's a hoax. Okay, I got to tell you, I, I would have gotten this wrong because I would have thought you would have said like 50, knowing you. But it's it's a third. A third oh. of the population believes that. Really? Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I know. Wow. Okay, here we go. I got a few more. Ready? Okay. Uh, how many of what, what what percentage of the population in America believes that our earliest ancestors were humans just like us? Forty percent. It's a third. Okay, so you you adapted to the you, you, I I get it. You're learning the test here. Okay, so it's the same third problem. Uh, okay, that's just a guess, but you know. All right, here we go. Vaccines cause autism. How many people believe that? What percentage? Forty-one percent. A quarter. See, now I got you going the wrong direction. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All right. How many, what percentage believes that the media or the government adds secret mind controlling technology to television broadcast signals? Uh, It can't be more than 10%. It's 15. What? (laughs) Seriously? Yeah. 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 Look, I don't think I'm sitting here in Australia going, oh, we'd never think that. I reckon we're probably quite close, but yeah. You think so? Is it? Well, okay. Well, last one. What percentage of the population believes the government has, in league with the pharmaceutical industry, hidden evidence of natural cancer cures? Fifteen <laughs> percent. It's a third. Jeez, really? <laughs> yes. Wow. Uh, okay, so let's just let's just do a little springboard off of that, right? To frame it in, so Paul, uh, Oregon is four million people. 
Mm, I think so, yeah. Okay, I so mean, you, approximately, approximately. Yeah, okay. I mean, Sydney itself is about 5 million. And so from sort of, it, this isn't total apples to apples, but we've had 53 deaths and we've currently got 4,500 cases. And we wow. haven't had a new case in about a week. Um, we did have a crazy outbreak in Melbourne um, where um, security guards were just super lax on the doors of the hotel. So we get we have mar- uh, we have mandatory quarantine. So if you fly in from overseas and you can only fly back in here if you've got a reason, you've got to go mm-hmm. into quarantine for two weeks in a hotel. You get fed. For the first five months, it was free. The Australian taxpayer paid for it. And now if you're coming back, it's deemed that you're doing it sort of discretionarily and you pay $3,000 to be locked up in a hotel for two weeks of quarantine. You don't see anyone else. You can't... I don't think you even have a swipe card to leave the room. Your meals are are, um, delivered to your door and there's a knock at the door and you wait a couple of minutes and then you collect. So it's really, really tight. And the Australian Federal Police take you off the plane and shepherd you onto buses and get you to the hotel. So it's a federal police um, do it. Now, in one state of Victoria and the city of Melbourne, they use private contractors on the security um, and there was, uh, let's just call it funny business, um, between mm. the people in the bedrooms uh, quarantining and the security uh, guards. Well, and so know, there was... It there is was, really boring. Yeah, so the security guard... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What do you do all day and night? So the security guards were letting them out. Um, they weren't really trained mm. at all. And there was um, some impropriety. And when I say that, I mean that some of those security guards were... Uh, having their way yeah, with people yeah, in the that, hotel rooms. Yeah. Anyway, okay. um, that meant oh. Melbourne was in full lockdown for six weeks and it was out of control. But now Australia, I think, is up there with New Zealand in terms of the response. It's right. just amazing. We are nearly back at normal. Like we had a we had a school function last night. There was no masks. We were we were the only oh thing we gosh, can't do. This really? is so funny. The only thing we can't do. So Finn. Finn's in year 12. We had an event for him at the school and then he went off to the pub. Whether you're at a private function, like in a, we were a rugby club, and, or then he went to the pub, you've got to be seated when you're drinking. Mm-hmm. And none of us in Australia realise, because 80% of us are Irish, so we, we are genetically built to drink. Um, <laughs> none of us have realised that it's it, 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 trying to drink and sit down is quite difficult for us because we like standing up and talking to each other. Oh, and that we've got these COVID marshals that roam the pub going, you've got to sit down. And it's like, um, you know, you're tapping your head and circling your See stomach you at the same back. time. It's like it's a hard thing to do. Like, can I drink and, stand, and sit down? This is difficult. So this, that's the biggest problem we're facing here in Australia. We, are not, we do not have a quarter of a million people dead. Um, we are just struggling to s- sit down and drink. That's the big problem. I think one of the, I was talking about this with a friend at the cafe this morning. We're convicts, right? We were <laughs> throwing... Hey, 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 don't be mean. We're convicts. We were I, don't, put on, I think hey, most hey. people know that, but, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know if a lot of... I don't know how many people know that basically Australia was originally populated by <laughs> people that England were just like, we got to get this guy out of here. Like, like, like He's got to go to the other side of the earth. <laughs> I just love to make the Thames River is full of these galleons full of convicts. The jails are overflowing. They're like, God, we've got to discover another land and just send all these bastards down there. But my point is there is a serious point in this, which is we're convicts. We're very used to being told what to do. And we absolutely listen to authority. Otherwise, we get 50 lashes. And I oh, think yes. that is and the basic. Syndrome and all well, that. this is it. 
yeah, yeah, but but I think there's something about the fact that we where you've got where populations actually listen to authorities and science, and they do what they're told in certain circumstances, and this is one of them. Then you do get a success like this. Uh, um, yeah. So that is the full extent of what we're dealing with right now, which makes us feel awful in a, because we see what's happening with the rest of the world, yeah. and it's a very real thing. And we look at not only the deaths, we also look at the infrastructure that's crumbling in some countries where. You know, I know in some cities in Europe where they're like they're gonna they're gonna get to overflow in their hospitals, and then it's just gonna be disastrous. So not a great so time. Do you, do you ever? I mean, we talked about this last time. Do you ever wonder to yourself? I mean, you lived here for ten years. Was it ten years? It was ten years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you ever just think? I <laughs> get the liberty thing, but why? Why the heck do people believe it's not real? I mean, I, that's the I part don't that... understand that. And I found that. So my big thing is my background is in Japan and I lived in Japan and uh, the culture shock of going to Japan is significant. Right. So mm. I'm a six foot four white Westerner person from a very tiny country population wise, 24 million people in a country the size of America. And I moved to a country the size of sort of Hawaii with 130 million people. so you And the food and the everything, the language, you need 50,000 characters to read the paper. The culture shock's pretty big, right? When mm-hmm. we moved to America, I would argue it was a bigger culture shock. It was yeah. so deceptive because we were brought up on the Brady Bunch and the Love Boat, two mm-hmm. critical, seminal pieces of culture. Mm-hmm. That, that, that you, is true. That you is exported. True. That's, the, that's the culture. Did you get you Fantasy said? Island in there too? We did. That guy was really short. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, and we had yeah. Magnum PI. He was cool, but mm-hmm. you move to America and you say, "Oh, these are my people. These, these, we all look similar. This is good." But then, very quickly, even in liberal Portland, Oregon, you realise that um, there's just different values there, and different. It's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is such a fascinating thing, the idea of that personal liberty thing, and it's a complete lack of recognition that you can, your behavior is going to absolutely impact people around you. So it just comes off as unbelievably selfish, you know? Yeah. I mean, the thing that's kind of sad is if we really could just have a switch we could flip, like I remember thinking, what would a great leader say to get people fired up? Because we know that we're going to, we're going to have trouble in America telling people what to do, right? Exactly. I think you'd have to declare a war on the virus. I think you'd have to say, everybody, it's just like World War II again. We're, we've got to declare a war against this virus. And the only way we're going to be it is to do this. And we'll keep the economy going by, you know, everybody getting masks. Of course, you got to have all the PPE ready for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, like keeping the schools open, the way you do that is you'd have to have all those teachers. They'd have to have the good stuff, right? Yeah. You yeah. can't just cloth mask that. Um, same thing with the bus drivers. Right. So there, there is like a practical way we could have done this, but I don't know. It's just that's that's not what happened. And I was also thinking about this other problem we've got is it's much harder to get the states to do all the things that they want to do. You know, I mean, it's it's we're one of the few countries where the states created the federal government. Yeah. Fascinating. Right. I mean, we we like we were just a bunch of states. Do you know that between like 1776 and when the Constitution was ratified, all the states had their own money. You're kidding. Yeah, think about it. That's so cool. There's no American money, right? There's just, there's Massachusetts money. Yeah. And there's Connecticut money. And yeah, that was one of the things that drove people nuts. That's, you know (laughs) what? My Connecticut money's not good in New York, sir. I mean, you know. We had a similar thing. So we didn't federate, we we weren't a federal, we were individual states 
reporting back to the mother country, so the state of New South Wales, the state of Victoria. And so the states were individual. We didn't become the country till 1901 or 1900. But the railway gauges were different in every state. Mm. So a train could travel wow. through the state of New South Wales and then when it gets, it gets to the Victorian border, it would have to stop. <laughs> and the width of the tracks was different. <laughs> Oh my god! That's what I mean by rail gauge. Okay, is so isn't that ridiculous? You, you guys do have a little bit of this vibe, then. I mean, so oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, so but obviously things have changed because it sounds like at some point somebody can just the top can just go. All right, everybody, knock it off, and people do it. So well, we we had a fit. The federal government called a a national COVID. Um, body that was all the state health people and they all come together and it's interesting because we've got a federal government that's one political persuasion and lots of the states are the other but they they all just this is where bipartisanship is critical and Mm -hmm. the belief in science going back to that dawkins quote is critical where they could sit down and meet every week and say okay what's going on um that's where we see something interesting whereas the 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 approach in the u.s is very much you have had a president who has politicized it by saying look at all these Democrat-led states—they've closed the—they've closed their states, and their economies are dying. We've got to get the jobs back. Like the politicization just never really happened. Yeah. I think that's one well, that thing. okay. So that definitely helps. But you know, mm. there is this concept. I think it's time to hit. To hit. This is another one of those things. We're going to probably just use science as a one-word term in the future to just explain like where we're coming from on something. Mm. Like, well, this is a science thing. Yeah. Another thing we've got to come up with, or another thing I think we've got to establish, another pillar is. Why do humans do some of this crazy stuff that they do? Like, Mm. how is it that you can look out upon the world and suddenly decide just because you've heard that it's flat three times, it's flat and you really actually believe that it's flat, that kind of thing. Or how is it that there's 250,000 people dead and you actually think it's not real? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, that's the part that's nuts, right? But there's a real phenomenon. And this is actually, this is one of those few little places that's actually peripherally kind of like work for me. So this, here's the concept. It's called, ready? Mm. Motivated reasoning. Oh. So we're going to need this to explain a lot of things. And once you get the concept down, you help, it helps you out. So motivated reasoning is this thing that all humans have where you resolve cognitive dissonance Mm. by your brain goes to search out what you really want and then you connect the dots for yourself. So it's kind of like a confirmation bias on steroids. Anybody who doesn't know about confirmation bias, the quick, simple answer is is you're just cherry picking evidence, um, you know, you're, you're, you're liking the stuff you like, you keep it and you just don't, you kind of ignore the other stuff. And then the stuff that you don't like, it confirms your own opinion, basically. Motivated reasoning is worse in some ways because it's this phenomenon whereby you get a burst of the same kind of hormones you get when, when you like fix an addiction, like when you smoke a cigarette, when you haven't had one in a while. Mm. You get that same sort of relaxing, calming, yeah, feeling mm. when you reconcile your cognitive dissonance. Wow. So, yeah, isn't that weird? Like, like basically your brain wants you to deceive yourself, <laughs> to keep up your vision of the world. It's this little problem between our advanced prefrontal lobe and like this old mammalian brain of ours that just wants to survive, right? So, uh, and, and of course, tribes are really important evolutionarily, right? So being a part of your tribe and, and believing what your tribe believes is really an important thing. So, but it makes people do just ridiculous things. And so I think one of our flags is going to be the motivated reasoning flag. I mean, most people, I've, when I've talked to people about this, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, it's the right wing. And I'm like, no, it's actually not the right wing. It's 
It's the right wing and the left wing. It's all people. I'll give you an example. Can I give you a left wing example? Since ever people, the Let's first thing it. people ask me is, "What's the left wing example?" All right, this is my right. this is my one rant today. Okay, <laughs> in Portland, you may have heard about this. In fact, you might have even been here when this happened. In Portland, we have this thing where every few years somebody says, "Shouldn't we be putting fluoride in the water?" Have you oh, heard don't about start that? with me on this. No, okay, I know, but this is my this is where I'm going. So we should put fluoride in the water, and then and and it gets rejected. Like every, every, every time. And, and get this. All right. Of course, there's going to be a problem with what in my field is called the appeal to nature fa- fallacy, which is, you know, if, if something's natural, it's good, but that means that everything natural is good. So if it's natural, then it's good all the time, which is the problem with this, of course, is that like arsenic's not good, right? I mean, like radium's not good. You know, there's a lot of natural substances that are particularly good. So, but fluoride is this really natural substance, but because the people who are running the, a very very good political campaign basically said keep portland's water pristine yeah they everybody hears that and they go oh yeah because well, no you know the water here is damn good i mean it's it's delicious you know people can use tap water basically to make craft beers and all, all sorts of amazing things mm. but get this here are things that the voters heard during this time when we obviously we got clobbered like nobody Nobody gets fluoride today. The Water Bureau came out and said, as good as the water is, it's not going straight from the reservoir up to Mount Hood, right to your faucet at home. It's still treated. It's a product. They said, fluoride is absolutely completely flavorless. And of course, people will be like, no, no, I can taste it. And it's like, no, that's like the chlorine that was in the water wherever you grew up. It's not fluoride. You can't taste it. You really, really can't. You just think you do. And then even more about this that's interesting. There was not a single argument that was really powerful about the cost of adding fluoride. It was negligible. In the end, people in Portland voted against their own self-interest because of what they wanted to be true, not what is true. And that is basically motivated reasoning. And by the way, adding insult to injury, <laughs> the, the liberal-leaning people most influenced by the appeal to nature argument is that the people that would have gotten the most help from the fluoride were the ones that, were, that they so often championed were the poor. They get no fluoride. That's that's such a great tight example, and it touches me personally because we were there in the middle of the great fluoride wars, and I we in Australia were. have fluoride. And well, I, I arrived in Portland at the age of thirty-five with no cavities. Yes, it did. The, did I your dentist say at, to you, "You must not be from around here"? Immediately. Yeah, mine did too. Immediately, mine did too. He said, "You have not been raised here, have you?" I said, "No." Do you like my gnashes? And in ten years, I think I got three um, cavities. And then we had to change our behaviour and take fluoride tablets at night. It was like living in a third world. And I do remember that argument. And I do remember thinking that is incredibly. I was mislabeling it as cognitive dissonance. What you're describing is much more accurate thing. But I'm just. It is extraordinary that that's possible. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. The, I mean, the uplifting news about it all is that it is completely manageable if you just know it exists, right? And if you have a little bit of introspection and like work on it, you, it's there's been plenty of times when I've been in a great debate and someone has slapped some really awesome evidence in front of me. And I've thought to myself, I'd really like that not to be true. And then you've just got a cave, man. It's like, because it, it, I mean, there's times where you lose your credibility if you just sit there and look at something that everybody else can look at and say, nope, it's not purple. And it's like everybody else is like, oh, that thing's really purple. (laughs) 
So true. Chris is just making stuff up now. I think for a lot of these topics we're going to get into, science, motivated reasoning are going to be two things that are the only way we're going to be able to explain them because otherwise they just seem like nuts land. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's nuts. Like, so, I mean, it's here's the problem. Australian real estate is not funny to Australians. It's, a, it's going to be funny to Americans, right? And like, do Australians I think, think that everybody in the world does real estate the way they do with the auctions on the front line? That's the thing. Oh, yeah. So the fun thing with real estate in Australia, uh, residential real estate, is that you buy and sell your property at a live auction. And that means um, in the front yard of the house, or it might be in a big ballroom at a hotel, and it's mayhem. If you think about it, buying a house is the biggest financial commitment you'll ever make. And the idea that you've got a live auction with bids going up and up and up is huge. So what it does is there's that. The spectacle of it's hilarious. For many, many years, it was fairly unregulated so i'm just going to perjure myself now you could do something like my brother was selling his house and he would say to me hey jace just put in a couple of bids early on and just pump the number up a bit and so you know i put in a couple of bids um just to get the thing going to get a bit of momentum and i was standing next to my mother who was looking at me like why are you buying your brother's house and i said it's a plan mum. trust me (laughs) and then of course the bidding slows, and for like five uncomfortable minutes, I was the highest bidder on my brother's house. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and my mother's looking at me like, you are an idiot. And so this phantom bidding was a big problem. Now you've got to be registered and you get a paddle and what have you, but it's high excitement and you get people phoning in from overseas to buy houses unseen or whatever. And so now you can imagine it is a cracking reality reality television format oh seriously you, know, it's, you guys is, have shows over well this? well they, it's because it's so it's so emotional and intense so inside the house you've got the vendors sitting there quietly but quietly listening to the bids going up and up and up in the kitchen going oh i wonder how far it's going to get you've got the auctioneer who's always a, a pelican just talking it up and cajoling and you've got people on the bid and bids go up by five or ten thousand dollar increments and then some as it slows someone puts their hand up and says oh, i'll give you an extra one thousand or two thousand and then the auctioneer sort of cajoles them up more and it's a fascinating spectacle <laughs> And so that's the transaction side of it. But then there's just the religion of real estate here. Um, Typically in the major cities, real estate doubles in value every seven years. It is a freeway to great wealth creation here. And like the today's Saturday, the Saturday papers, they'll have a big uh, section on who's buying what, when. Mm -hmm. And so you're raised in this this environment and you move overseas and you realize, oh, but in some countries that's not true. Some countries you can buy real estate and it can lose value. So anyway... it's it's a bit of a quirk of this strange country we live in that we are all obsessed with with uh, real estate. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, it was really good talking with you, Jason. We'll see. Thanks you next week. so much. Hey, and everybody, if you're liking what you hear, please make sure to rate and review us. Tell your friends if we are your cup of tea, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. See you next week. for joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham Nye. Catch you next time.